I haven't used this thing since Halloween 2019. But you know why this is here today, Kaylee Nix? Because we're talking about unicorns. Absolutely. Do you know the difference between a unicorn and a Pegasus? Um, a Pegasus was the ace sidekick in the 1997 Disney's hit film Hercules, and uh, also no horn. No horn, true, true. Do you know what you call a, my Pegasus, or do you know what you call a unicorn Pegasus combination? Like a, a winged horse with a horn? Hmm, a unisys? It's a pegacorn. Pegacorn. Hey, Close the enough. reason why this is here, it's not just because it's Tennessee's 225th birthday. Happy birthday, Tennessee. It's because we have Freight Tech's latest unicorn here today, Kaylee Nix. You know who it is? Uh, something tells me that it's possibly Project 44. It's Project 44. You, she's cheating off the show notes here. I'm no, cheating. It's, it's fine. It's Jet McCandless, CEO, founder of Project 44. We're going to bring him right back up and find out how this big deal went down. First, mm-hmm. we just got to... Tip the band right now. Today's show is brought to you by Legend Transportation, which has been establishing partnerships through outstanding customer service since 2007. Learn more at newlegendinc.com. All right, let's bring Jet up. He's the man of the hour. What's up, Jet? Hey, how you doing? It's great to see you. Hey, first of all, congratulations. I I brought my unicorn out for you guys. Anytime I can bring this out for a company on on our side of the world, they hit that big number. Congratulations. I appreciate you putting the time in that, digging that out of storage. Thanks. <laughs> hey, tell us tell us a little bit about this. So what went down with the deal? What happened? I know the news broke yesterday. Yeah, uh, so the team's been really hard at work. Uh, we got a lot of amazing customers, a lot of support from the carrier network. And, uh, you know, we thought that maybe the timing was right to go raise some more capital. And the market was really receptive to that. Uh, we started a process, took about two weeks. We had 11 term sheets uh, from the, the world's best. Uh, funds, and uh, we ended up taking one of them. Um, we're really proud of who we selected, Goldman Sachs, and uh, got really great uh, terms. So in that press release from Goldman Sachs, they talked about how you guys are really focusing on mitigating those pain points that a lot of these really big time shippers and carriers are seeing. Talk to us a little, little bit about what some of those pain points are, how the pandemic has kind of influenced those and the changes around that. Yeah, there's pain points for all the nodes of the ecosystem. So whether it's the carrier, the 3PL, the broker, the driver, the shipper, the consignee, whoever it is in the ecosystem, uh, what we try to do, which is quite a bit different, is uh, take away the pain for anyone uh, in the logistics ecosystem. Uh, the shippers tend to have uh, pain, uh, whether they're inbound or outbound, it can be slightly different, but uh, they struggle uh, trying to get their product to where they want it to arrive at. And it could be disrupted uh, with their manufacturing production. Uh, trade wars, weather, Suez Canal blockage, um, global pandemics, whatever it is, there's always something that's disrupting the, the supply chain. And ultimately, um, you know, they, they're looking for as much uh, predictive uh, notice on that as possible. Yeah, you mentioned it right there. There's so many uh, variables that happen in the supply chain, and you serve a bunch of different companies. You have 55, more than 55 enterprise customers. You have the Amazon of the world, Procter & Gamble, Starbucks, Unilever, Nestle, Cargill. You've got Bosch Group. So what kind of challenges does it present having to serve this diverse range of customers in a dynamic world like supply chain? And the interesting thing about our businesses is that um, uh, it's a network business. So one company's outbound is another company's inbound. So we have 580 paying customers. Uh, and the majority of those are, are shippers, and then we have quite a few third-party logistics companies. 
But on any given day, like today, uh, we're providing visibility to over 400,000 shipments. And so um, there are, uh, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but uh, likely uh, hundreds of thousands of different uh, folks on the, in the ecosystem that are getting value, uh, tra transporting information back and forth. It's not just the paying customers. Um, so there's a really wide, wide range there. In addition to that, we operate 161 countries. Uh, so it's always uh, quite a bit different. The use cases um, that we're used to here in the United States or maybe Canada, they can be so much different when you're in Poland or um, you know, Germany or maybe over in Asia somewhere or Brazil. Uh, so the, you know, the, the platform is constantly tested on all those different use cases. To make it even more complicated, we're the only multimodal global products. Not only do you have different use cases of inbound, outbound, uh, but you also have the different modes of transportation and the different geographies. And so speaking of those multimodal, that kind of ever-evolving ecosystem that you guys are tapped into, tell me a little bit about the Ocean Insights acquisition, what that means, why it was so important for you guys to kind of dabble into this side of the ocean freight. Yes. So about 50% of our revenue comes from Europe. So quite, quite a bit. Um, and we are the, the heavyweight champ in Europe and we're also uh, the heavyweight champ in the U.S. So really proud of that. Um, Ocean Insights was a great opportunity for the folks in Europe to realize we're not just an American company. It was our second acquisition in Europe. Over 50% of our team members are based in Europe now. But Ocean Insights themselves, um, they were the heavyweight champ for ocean visibility. Think of them as the weather channel. They are the source of data. They have the highest quality data out there. And uh, so having that team was really, really important to us. Well, I mean, as a fellow heavyweight champion, I know exactly what you're talking about here. If you check out my title belt, I mean, you know. Pretty impressive. Like, I'm basically not gonna the same lie. blood, maybe a few less zeros in the bank account with, with Jet over here. I mean, they've been busy. They also picked up Clear Metal, right? Mm -hmm. For machine learning, orchestration, that kind of thing. So you're really building, uh, you're really building this thing building out. Building an empire. Also. Yeah. Well, so what are you going to do with this money now? You already made these other acquisitions. Now you got this big Series E raise of what, $202 million, valuing you at $1.2 billion. So what are you going to do now? Yeah, for us, you know, it kind of stick with the basics and keep stay aligned with the vision. So, uh, you know, first thing to do is uh, make sure that the core products that our customers are depending on to run their business, make sure that those continue to harden, invest in those. At the same time, continue to listen to our customers, uh, learn about what they want, uh, their digitalization goals are, uh, continue that and make sure that we're investing in that innovation in the future. Of course, we're expanding geographies into Asia, China specifically very aggressively. Um, and we're continuing to uh, build out other modes of transportation, for instance, rail in Europe. So one of our writers, Grace Sharkey, wrote a piece about you guys. And she really, I talked to her this morning, actually, on Freightwaves Now. She was really touting about how much you focus on how important your team is to you. And you guys have done a lot of expansion in that team growth as well, over 250 new team members, eight countries. Talk to us a little bit about that team growth and why the team, the people that are working underneath you, make Project 44 so successful. Oh, awesome. Yeah, thanks for that opportunity. I love bragging about the team. So I think as, as, as humans, we're the sum of many small decisions. And uh, you know, the company is just the sum of the, of the team members. And that's the big differentiation between us and, and our competitors. You know, they built a superior product. Uh, they're the ones that obsess over the customers. The team is the, are the ones that um, really differentiate us out there. Uh, we try to be really selective on who we let in the door. Uh, we have really low churn on team members. Um, Try to make sure that they're incentivized. You know, one thing to mention: we have over 580, uh, excuse me, over five. We have 508. Little dyslexia there. 508 team members at the moment. We have over 82 open positions. 
Uh, but every single one of them uh, that are spread across four continents and over a dozen countries, they all have options in Project 44. And that's probably a little odd. Most companies, if they have folks in India or uh, maybe LATAM or, or Eastern uh, Europe, they may not give options. It's pretty, pretty difficult for us. But for us, it's so important that every team member wins as we win. It's also important that every team member acts like an owner. Uh, and we have, you know, much higher expectations. So I think we get uh, much better product and better customer experience because of that. We're certainly not perfect. Uh, we've got a lot of areas to improve with. And we're always grateful and thankful uh, for our customers that go for that journey with us. Now, Jeff, before we let you go, I want, I want you to now, maybe not brag about yourself, but, but bask in this. Bask in this moment. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. It was just a few years ago. You sold your, you sold your motorcycle. You put, some of, you put some of your life at stake. You put your blood at stake in this business. And now you're at this moment during a Series A unicorn company. How does it feel? Well, I think just a lot, a lot of gratitude and a big opportunity uh, here to, to really let the vision um, uh, accelerate. So the goal is always to help the ecosystem. I've always been obsessed. And it's, I think it's because I started with the carrier side. I saw how hard it was for the carriers, uh, the jobs they had, working graveyards, uh, swing shifts, you know, a lot of demands on the you know, traffic, whatever it is. Um, it's just a tough, tough environment. So I always developed a lot of empathy for the for the carriers. I spent seven years there. And the brokers have a hard gig too. Uh, I spent a lot of time there also. Uh, you're always giving up holidays and weekends there also. Uh, and then the shippers. Everyone's kind of have uh, a really difficult uh, uh, you know j- job around the table to make sure the end customers are getting their product on time and they can't they can't feel it. So uh, any of those challenges. Um, so for me, I'm excited to use this capital and. Uh, to really just uh, make 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 everyone else's life a little, a little bit easier. Well, very uh, yes, very noble of you, very noble of you, Jet. I bet you break dance down the street yesterday. You got all you got that out of your system already. Hey, everyone, check it out. Project Forty Four, great article by Grace Sharkey on our website. Tell you all about their raise, and of course, you know, just this trajectory. You mentioned a clear metal. Uh, this raise, uh, the other news. It, you know, I, I'm sure Project Forty Four will be another headline pretty soon. Jet, once again, thank you so much for joining us uh, today. Appreciate your time. Cheers. Take, Bye, take y'all. Easy. Hey, before we get to uh, our, our next guest, you know, I was so excited to talk to Jet. I forgot to even mention, you know, you might notice the dude's not here. Instead, we get the dudette. It's me. It's Kaylee Nix. Yeah, it's where a- would, so people who might not, all they watch is what the truck, mm-hmm. they're just true bleed red what the truck, they might not know you. Big Tell them where you come from here. So you guys must sort of, or maybe know me as uh, starting out on Midday Market Update with Michael Vincent. He was my co-host uh, back in March. We've evolved that into the brand new rebrand of Freight Waves Now. You can catch that every morning. Um, I'm kind of the consistent co-host. We've got a revolving cast of characters on Freight Waves Now. Yeah. That airs at 9 a.m. And then I've got my own show, At Your Doorstep. That's a combination show podcast that focuses on kind of the specifics of our content that goes into our modern shipper. So we're really focused on last mile, new tech, drone delivery, all of that awesome stuff. Really, really good episodes. Uh, this week's episode, we talked to Dusty Dean, who's a contributor for Freight Waves. Dusty Dean of the Diamond Dog, 70s rock icon? Not him. Oh. That would have been pretty cool. Yes. But uh, he's CEO at BitCadet. We kind of talked about, about what manufacturers need to do to keep up with the way that the market's evolving cool. and how it's really old school versus new school when it comes to manufacturing. And in his words, get on the bus or consumers are leaving you behind. 
Well, hey, folks, fear not. Michael Vincent will be back on Friday, but let's enjoy Kaylee Nix today. And now we're going to talk to Seaworthy Steve Ferreira and the, uh, I don't know, Diamond Containers. <laughs> hey, Steve, thank you for joining us. He's the CEO of Ocean Audit, and also he has a show on Freightways TV called Navigate B2B, which, Steve, that just moved to a new time. So for those that usually were used to checking it out at 9 a.m. on Fridays, where are they going to find it now? Well, Dunes, hi. Uh, hi, Kaylee. It's great to see you guys. Well, between the, the barrel the barrel racing and the steer roping competition, uh, <laughs> we'll have it on Fridays at 2 o'clock. <laughs> well, you might wonder why she's dressed that way. Before we came on air, she was tied to one of the train tracks here in, um, in Chattanooga. <laughs> villain. I, I look like the villain of, of the Western movie. You know, we just need the hero to swipe on in. And... I get, yeah, Michael Vincent's the damsel in distress this That's time. That's what it is. That's why he's not here. Hey, so Steve, Steve, you, you have it. your ear to the ocean. I don't, that doesn't even make sense. You have your ear to the conch shell. Uh, I saw some <laughs> decent news for the first time in a very, very long time. Marine Exchange, every day they post how many containers are at port in LA and check out this tweet right here they're down to 11 container ships at anchor now Kaylee for for months it was 20 uh before that it was 30 Mm -hmm. so seeing at 11 seems like progress is it Steve what's going on at the ports well I I think you have to kind of take this with a grain of salt right this is uh, a work in progress I think that what we're seeing you know across the globe you know uh, the breaking news out of uh, South China ports is uh, there is a new strain of COVID that's hitting. So there is some consideration that the port of Yantian, the port of Shenzhen, two major ports may potentially be impacted. There's already a backload of 30 ships there. So although this is a little bit of a temporary uh, relief, you can kind of think of it as the lull before the storm. I certainly don't think we're out of the woods by by any means at all. And I think that uh, L.A. numbers and those Oakland numbers and those Seattle numbers will continue to rise uh, as we kind of progress through this contain again period. Really, you know, it's kind of that light that you can almost see, but it's not quite within reach yet. Yeah. And Steve, as, as I understand, they can only move about three, three and a half of those container ships a day. So it's very easy for that traffic jam to come right back into port. So, Steve, your advice is probably pretty sound here. We're not out of the woods or the. Stuff yeah, like, I, I think, you know, the, 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 the thing is, is that there's certain ports that do pretty good with uh, what we call, you know, pick productivity. And that pick means basically picking the containers off the vessel. Um, how much throughput there is getting the containers off, getting empties or loaded containers back on. You know, each port keeps their own metrics. You know, certainly L.A., Long Beach has done a, a great job. Uh, Oakland has had to um, hire some some new longshore labor and casual workers and gangs. So each port is, you know, on on their own. It's, it's individual story. So we just have to keep an eye on that. And, you know, thanks to m- marine traffic, and, uh, you know, good uh, intelligence. Um, that is something that at least helps the trader, helps the importer kind of keep their, their eye on the uh, prize. Well, Kaylee, did you hear that? The yeah. Labor shortage is so bad that they're hiring gangs to watch the port now. It's like when the Rolling Stones, <laughs> <laughs> the Rolling Stones did that uh, Give Me Shelter concert with, uh, with the Hells Angels that you were at, Steve. <laughs> hey, let well, me you ask know, I have a long, uh, I, I, I used to hang out with the longshoremen in, long, uh, in, in New York uh, when I was a young trainee. And those guys are very intense. And I say with all love and respect, when I say gangs, of course, you know, I mean, uh, <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, so Steve, you know, What the Truck newsletter, actually past couple What the Truck newsletters, or, or in the past month, a few times video games have come up. I mean, I'm a gaming nerd, so I already take an interest in this, but microchips started in the auto industry, you heard a lot about it last year. Um, leading into Christmas time, you start hearing about the Xbox and Sony talking about how there'd be shortfalls on consoles. That is carrying through, and something very interesting happened just the other day. Nintendo said in their earnings, they said, we've had a 12% drop in sales and anticipate a 29% drop in net revenue, which they attribute to production problems, getting these chips. But at the same time, they say that they're going to make a new Switch, the, the Super Nintendo Switch. So I, I guess they don't care. They want to entice more people to get Switches. Steve, what is going on with these consoles right now? Right. Well, uh, no one understands uh, a lot of the dynamics on this better than I do. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that for a couple of years, I physically resided in Taiwan, where a great number of microchips and uh, semiconductor chips and processing chips for these games are made and then, you know, transshipped or, you know, sent to the factories for installation. So Taiwan is at the heart of a lot of the chips, uh, pr- the chip production, especially the Sinchu Science Park, which is not too far from my old uh, uh, flat in Taipei, Taiwan. But here's the deal on the uh, chips. And one of the things I find really interesting, I'm a real student of market intelligence on a, on, on a detailed basis, on a monthly basis, on what containers are coming in. I look at the Nintendo product. I look at the Microsoft Xbox product. And to my trained eye, it appears that Microsoft is getting better access to the chips. And the reason why I say that and make that premise is that about a year ago, Microsoft and Xbox, no, Xbox and uh, Nintendo Switch were kind of neck and neck in terms of the, the aggregate volume of containers coming in. Microsoft now has kind of a five to three lead. And so that tells me that somehow, some way, Microsoft is getting more access to the chips than Nintendo. I think that's a really compelling story. And this is real-time trade stats. So I think the containers don't lie. And I think that we just need to find out what would be the reason why Nintendo's not getting the access that Microsoft is. Yeah, that is weird, yeah. Kaylee, because the Xbox said their Series X was their greatest launch to date. And Xbox themselves, Microsoft, has had some great Xbox right. launches. The 360, the One, those were all sold out. Those were huge, huge deals. They also use AMD. They use AMD just like Sony does and Nintendo does. Why do you think it is they're getting better access to these chips? I think I think a lot of it has to do with uh, just the, the overall buying power. I think that you have to look at the different products that Microsoft is is sourcing um, in Asia. You have to look at the Surface and the other products. You have to look at the buying power. Um, I think that um, you know certainly factory preferences in terms of where the long term contracts are. You know, chips are like a commodity. Microsoft may have bought some forward contracts on these. So it is difficult to say, but I think one of the really important things for the audience is to know just how much planning goes in. These chips are almost like gold, right? And um, as I said, it kind of goes to the heart of Taiwan. As a matter of fact, I'm not a, a stock prognosticator, but I think one of the most undervalued stocks right now is this TWN. It's called the Taiwan Fund, and it invests purely in, um, uh, mainly in semiconductors. And it's really a very cheap discounted fund right now. But we just see these chip manufacturers increasing the price after price after price. And it just may be uh, my belief is that Microsoft has better long term contracting than Nintendo. 
Now, Steve, the last conference I went to before coming to Freight Waves was in March of 2019. BOC threw it at Conley Terminal. And the keynote there was Peter Terschel from the JOC. And he said this. He said that Amazon is a tech company and those people in the room have nothing to worry about them as a logistics company, which I scoffed at. But can you tell him how wrong he is, especially with all we know now? I believe that in two years, Amazon will be the number one logistics company. Uh, what they've done in the Trans-Pacific is so compelling. I mean, they're up to almost, you know, eight to 9,000 containers a week. I mean, a, a month uh, just with their Amazon logistics small business program. They're making money hand over fist, not only on the sea freight margins that they're charging their small China customers, but also on all the fulfillment aspects associated with that. And that's only one part of Amazon, right? That's really kind of their under-the-radar NVO division. Now, they haven't offered that to any North American consignees that are outside of the fulfillment division. Now, you have to remember, Amazon is really in two parts as it relates to uh, ocean transportation. Their own business on Amazon.com that their buyers go out and source from Asia and other locations. And then their NVO or Amazon uh, logistics division which they market to small to medium-sized China shippers. I believe that right now, Amazon Logistics would be in the top 10 with regards to NVOCC volume in the Trans-Pacific, but nowhere will you see that statistic other than this exclusive ocean audit, what the truck uh, uh, graphic, where you know we just show the power of what they've been able to do so quickly. So I think um, I love Peter, but at the same time, I would say he's dead wrong in the fact that Amazon Logistics uh, may be one of the more powerful players right up with the 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 uh, the expediters, the shankers, the DSVs, the um, the Kuninagos of the world in the next year or so. Um, yeah, I mean, and to be fair, there was a time when that debate didn't sound so ridiculous. Right. I mean, it's pretty obvious what's going on now. I think it was two years ago, but I mean, it's clear as clear as day. No. It's honestly just true dominance by Amazon's part at this point. Yeah. They're gonna, it's going to get to a point where they're not just a logistics company. They are the logistics company to go for. They're gonna, it's like in Demolition Man. Everything's Taco Bell. Everything's, everything's Amazon. Well, Steve, before we let you go, I've got to spin this wheel. I've got to spin this wheel, see where it lands in the galleyway, and we'll see what kind of answer you can give us. Okay, what question we got? We got here. You've woken up inside a shipping container headed on its way to Shanghai. How do you escape? Um, I escape by... Uh morphing my body into my kung fu position, and then I exit through the small air gap. Ah, wow, that's pretty good. It turns into a gaseous form. All right, hey, Steve, thank you for joining us today. When do people catch your show next? You can catch me uh, Fridays at uh, 2 o'clock on uh, Freightways TV on Navigate B2B, uh, worldwide uh, release of my uh, book, Navigating B2B, comes out right after the 4th of July. And I'm um, looking forward to our, our next show. Thanks for your, your time together, Kaylee and, uh, and Tim. It's great to see you guys. Good Take to see you, Steve. Thanks for joining us. I know. Hey, you know what? We're kind of going in your wheelhouse now. We are going at, at your doorstep, at your doorstep. Uh, it implies boxes landing at a doorstep. That's what people want to do with drones now, Kaylee. And so we've talked to a couple of drone delivery providers. We've talked to Valkyrie about their receptacles for drones, yeah. about what it's going to take to uh, mitigate cities for drone use. But And now we're actually talking to people who are going to be doing that dropping with their drones, right? We've got the CEO of Deuce Drone on COO. the list today. It's Ed, COO. Ed he's the COO of Deuce Drone, but he's also a former Air Force guy working in the Space Command, which sounds like the coolest title I've ever heard. Let's find out if he owns an X-Wing. Ed, thanks for joining us on the air today. Hey, thanks a lot, Tim. Good to see you. So, hey, you got to tell us. 
So every week we have, I mean, every month we have a NASA segment on the show. NASA lends some of their specialists to our show. We do a program with them. I haven't talked to anyone from uh, Space Command or Space Force yet. Tell me a little bit about your background in the Air Force and what that entailed. Oh, man, it was awesome. Uh, 30 years in the Air Force, uh, doing a lot of different things. As you said, I spent a little bit of time in the Space Force, but it was before the Space Force. Clearly, it was uh, Space Command, uh, whether it was uh, launching uh, satellites or watching them in space, uh, keeping track of space debris or planning for operations in space. So it was a lot of fun. Uh, Some very, very smart people doing clever things. And now I'm hoping to be one of those uh, on the outside doing clever things. I, you know, I've got to say that if I could make a change to a career field, I would so go work for a Space Force, Space Command, whatever, because that is, it is so interesting. Leaving this planet is just like so incredibly interesting to me. But tell us a little bit about what you guys do at Deuce Drone and then how you have taken what you guys, what you learned in the Air Force and at Space Command and kind of made it into this now drone delivery service. Yeah, I will. Thanks a lot. But before I get into that, let me just, uh, in reference to your previous guest, Steve, uh, what a great guy, very smart. <laughs> but uh, Deuce Drone, uh, we'd rather flight than switch. OK, so there's the there's the joke there. But uh, at Deuce Drone, really what we're trying to do is uh, figure out that last mile delivery. And, and it really goes back to what Steve's talking about logistics. Uh, we're certainly not going to compete against Amazon or anybody like that at this point. But we're trying to figure out the last mile delivery. And, and for the last mile delivery, it's all about customers. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving boxes, you know, from uh, some sort of business to a customer. Uh, and it's even uh, from customer to customer, and it's also from business to business. So a lot of effort there going on. And really, you know, back to the question about what I learned in the Air Force. Clearly, uh, Air Force operations, the discipline, the rigor, the processes, the procedures, uh, and that's what we're concentrating on at Deuce Drone is figuring out all those procedures. Safety is paramount and uh, all we do. You can see uh, from the video showing, you know, that uh, – it's got you got to be safe. Those are spinning blades, uh, very dangerous. We don't want uh, people in harm's way there. So everything we think uh, of and fig- uh, solutions we try to figure out, safety's got to be in there first and foremost. And as you see there landing on the QR code, um, you know that adds a, a higher level of uh, accuracy for our landing, uh, more so than the GPS, uh, which is provided by the good folks at Space Force. Now let me ask you something: Is it using a camera to see that QR code to know to land on it, or, or is it already programmed to go in that spot? Yeah, so you've got uh, some cameras. Obviously, uh, they're sort of like FPV type uh, cameras, uh, Tim. And, uh, you know, uh, some of the autonomy of the flight from one building to another will be not with that camera. But as it gets uh, into the landing sequence, it uh, uses that camera, the FPV video, uh, to sort of tune in, if you will, dial in to a great uh, deal of accuracy, uh, that final landing sequence. So I've talked to a bunch of folks about what it's going to take to kind of change cities and change regulations when it comes to actually using drones as a really good delivery tool. And you guys were just on the receiving end of some FAA approval to go ahead and use this delivery service. Talk to us a little bit about what the process is applying for that approval and kind of some of the hoops that you guys have had to jump through or what you've had to prove to them to say, hey, this is a viable option for delivery. We can use this going forward. Yeah, it's uh, in many ways. It's a, we in the Deuce uh, drone business and delivery business for all drones are much like where perhaps uh, the space industry was back in the, the late 50s, early 60s. And it's a bit of a, a wild, wild west. And, you know, the FAA rightfully so has stepped in to prevent it from becoming a wild, wild west with, you know, drones flying all over the sky unregulated. So they have added some regulation and some uh, stipulations about how you can operate drones. And that's obviously fair and reasonable. Right. So. Uh, some of the requirements now uh, uh, for operations over people, and you know that includes both people and 
cars and uh, anything on the ground uh, includes you know, safety requirements. What you didn't see in the video of the drone is a parachute uh, attachment that gets attached to the drone uh, in case uh, the drone does have an incident or accident that uh, causes it to uh, land uh, uncontrollably, if you will. And uh, that parachute is a requirement of the FAA to reduce the uh, energy transferred at impact on the ground, whether that's to a person or to any sort of property. Uh, so just going through all those regulations, line of sight, uh, weather stipulations, uh, all of those very, uh, various aspects of the window that becomes very narrow in which we can operate right now. Hopefully over time, we can expand that window to allow uh, you know greater uh, delivery options for folks. But right now, the window's kind of small until we get uh, to a level of autonomy uh, with drones, and the FAA is comfortable with that as well. And let me ask you something. You've been with Deuce Drone. You joined the team relatively recently. Who has a harder time in logistics, the military or the, the private sector? Yeah, good question. Well, you know, I'll say that, uh, you know, the military does a great job. You know, the folks at the Air Mobility Command uh, in the Air Force and uh, the folks, you know, Navy uh, Military Transport Command, yeah, they do a great job. Uh, and, and a lot of times what they have to do is do it in emergency situations, uh, sort of uh, dynamic uh, environment in unfriendly places. You know, so the folks on the civilian side, clearly, uh, for the most part, it's all friendly. Nobody's shooting at them. Uh, of course, you've got your pirates on the sea. And, uh, you know, in the drone delivery or package delivery business, we've got uh, pirates on the porch, right? And so um, to a certain extent, we've got to solve for that problem as well with any sort of uh, receptacle of the drone package, right? Uh, how do we prevent uh, pirates from uh, taking that package, uh, whatever we're trying to deliver there? Yeah, like in East Tennessee over here, you know, in the backwoods by where like Harrison lives, mm -hmm. you know, there could be some people on their porches that are just, you know, skeet shooting. Just these, these Is there any danger of that? Do these have like defense mechanisms? Well, uh, hopefully the, the same uh, sort of inner voice that tells you that's not a good thing to do, you know, for, for airplanes or anything today <laughs> is the same voice that will tell you not to do for drones. Uh, but I think that uh, is a risk, you know. Um, and very much so, we're sort of like uh, the snowboarders uh, on many of the ski slopes where people look at drones uh, with a little bit of a, a scant view uh, right now until we prove that we're responsible, we're safe, uh, and we're actually bringing goodness uh, to people, not uh, you know looking in windows with cameras or anything along those lines. So I've, speaking of that receptacle nature of things, I've talked to a couple of people from like Valkyrie, Ryan Walsh, the CEO there, about they're designing the actual receptacles for those drones to drop off those packages with. Are you guys doing any work, any type of partnerships with those type of folks who are designing those receptacles and kind of making that receiving end and all they need is the partnership of the actual delivery? Yeah, we haven't entered any, into any partnerships yet. Uh, certainly uh, looking at some of uh, some ideas and concepts of our own, uh, certainly uh, not only the receptacle on the receiving end, but the receptacle on the delivery end, you know, sort of the uh, sending end where businesses, whether they're fast food places or ghost kitchens that uh, have many uh, restaurants inside them, have a receptacle where they can put the uh, uh, product into and then send it out from the drone. So I think it's on both ends, really, that we need to sort of master uh, to get this uh, drone delivery to a more ubiquitous level and safe. But uh, uh, somebody will come up with a very clever solution, and uh, it'll probably become an industry standard. Uh, but uh, there's probably more than one way uh, to uh, to do it right now, and we're certainly looking at a couple. Uh, but uh, definitely, uh, in order for individuals to have drone delivery, safe drone delivery, where they're not in the harm's way of the propellers and they're not in the harm's way of the package getting stolen, some sort of receptacle, I think, uh, is going to be required. 
It, last summer, we had your CEO, Rhett, on, on the show, and we were celebrating the first delivery, the pilot delivery that they had done for a Buffalo Wild Wings. I believe it was right at our neighbors over right. in Alabama, if I'm not mistaken. Um, how did that go? And you also mentioned ghost kitchen delivery. So my question is, how, how does that go? Is that partnership expanding? And do you think food delivery is actually the bigger play here than package delivery? Uh, it's a little bit of both. You know, um, the delivery went well. And just yesterday uh, here in Mobile, we delivered uh, smoothies uh, from a, a local retailer uh, uh, in a retail uh sort of center uh, in Mobile uh, to a, an office building uh, to awaiting customers uh, over here. So uh, it's food delivery definitely is possible. Uh, and we proved it yesterday. Um, certainly we proved it with uh, the Buffalo Wild Wings. So it is a function. Um, so uh, I guess I'll say that um, whether it's uh, commodities or food, uh, there's, a, there's, there's a place for all of it, right? And, um, you know, maybe we don't completely replace the ground delivery options but we certainly augment them and uh, make uh, the hard deliveries easier uh, for those packages. You know, it's going to it's going to come down to what customers uh, really want. You know, if you're having a, a dinner party and you find yourself, uh, hey, I need some uh, some more stuff that I don't have. I don't have time to get out. I need a drone delivery fast. Boom. Here we are. Do drone. We'll get that to you. Hey, speaking of drones, Kaylee, I was just at the Rocket Center in Huntsville, Alabama, the NASA Rocket Center. Yeah, if you haven't been, go there. And if you have a family, get a membership. It's about the same as just going once anyway, um, and you get guest passes. But I went there, and they're opening a drone exhibit there. It wasn't open yet. It might be open right now. Um, do you guys have any in- involvement with, uh, with with that drone exhibit or or the NASA community over there? I know that NASA, the A in NASA, the, the aeronautics A in NASA, has very much to do with drones. Uh, no, we really don't. Uh, certainly, it'd be a fun thing to, to do. You know, certainly my, from my time in the Air Force, uh, working with NASA for you know space track catalogs and cataloging the things in space uh, as NASA themselves put things into space. Uh, but we have nothing to do with uh, Huntsville. Certainly, uh, we want to uh, capitalize on all that NASA has done for the nation uh, and maybe uh, use their technology and uh, maybe one day of our own uh, be a, an exhibit in the, the NASA museum up there. But uh, no, no formal relationship with them at the time comes to delivering food from drones, I would much rather almost have a drone delivery do it because then, you know, you don't run the risk of your Uber Eats driver eating like five of your fries oh, when yeah. when you come with a drone delivery uh-huh. for food, right? Exactly. You know, and, uh, you know, we saw, so what we've uh, realized, uh, Kaylee, is that uh, not only are we a delivery service, but we also, in some cases, have to be a, a food handler company if that's what we're going to do. And so, obviously, we've got a process, and we did it yesterday uh, with the smoothies of, receiving the uh, order from the vendor and then inspecting it ourselves, sealing it, and then getting it to uh, the customer uh, in short order, uh, protected, and uh, make sure that it comes to them. Uh, if it's uh, over 90 degrees out, uh, you know, certainly uh, less than an hour. If it's under 90, then less than two hours, but certainly on a drone delivery, it can get to you much faster than that. The delivery itself only takes about three minutes from the vendor to the customer, so uh, little opportunity for us to pick at the fries in the, those three minutes. Uh, but and we do put a safety seal on it. And what's the uh, the speed, the range, and the payload of uh, the drones you're currently working with? Yeah, so uh, obviously with uh, the FAA regulations, as, as I mentioned earlier, you know, that window of uh, max takeoff weight uh, with all the requirements, uh, and then what's left over for the payload is kind of small. So right now we're talking about a six-pound payload after you put all the safety equipment on the drone and, uh, you know, you get the parachute and uh, the batteries in order to do it, but about a six-pound payload. Uh, we can fly up to 30 miles an hour, uh, and uh, but you know, so where we are at six pounds today, we certainly we want to get to perhaps uh, 60 pounds in, in the future. 
clearly that's going to be a larger drone. It's going to include a lot more safety features than what we currently have and hopefully more autonomy. Uh, but about 30 miles an hour, six pounds, uh, and we can fly for about uh, 20 minutes on the batteries that we have. And so some of those limitations really put a limit on who is willing or interested in using this technology. How interested are either retailers, foods, ghost kitchens in kind of using this and uh, utilizing drone delivery as a whole? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, retailers, I think, see the, the beauty and uh, the edge it gives them as a company, right? It makes them more competitive. You know, we're, uh, as a company, if you don't offer food, you can bring food in with drone to your customers uh, ad hoc, right? Uh, if a customer wants to order from a drone, you know, from a, a food company that's down the road, uh, you know, if you're at the beach, you know, and you want to order some food from some food at the beach, boom, we can get it there by drone. Uh, so uh, it's it's very clear. Like the businesses of Mobile have, uh, for the most part, who we've dealt with, have totally embraced the concept. And I think they see, you know, the competitive advantage they give them. It makes them uh, better. Uh, and, and working with uh, the vendors that we have, we've also been able to sort of give them feedback on their process. So uh, in many ways, it's a bit of a force multiplier. And as they improve and we improve, they get more customers, right? Because customers want to work with companies that have good processes and they get their food fast. And the same is going to hold true for uh, whether we're delivering groceries or whether we're delivering, uh, you know, a shirt and tie that you want from the store, you know, sort of thing. Uh, you know, the fast delivery uh, when you want it, when you need it uh, is really what uh, the last mile delivery is going to be all about. We saw that opening video with, with the B-roll of the drone flying around the stadium, landing on the QR code. I had a previous guest on here, and I, you know, concessions seem like a pretty natural extension of drone use which, within stadiums. But he was like, you know what? You, you're not considering something. They have very fast-spinning blades, and you can't necessarily have them come down yeah. around a concentration of people. Yeah. So what application can drones have in stadiums? Yeah, so here's the one I want to employ, and hopefully, uh, you know, they'll allow us. But, you know, as you said, the FAA has uh, regulated um, not only that the drones weren't allowed in the stadiums, but actually a couple hours prior to a game at a NFL, NHL, or a Major League Baseball stadium, soccer. Uh, it's a no-drone zone, essentially, no-fly zone uh, prior. But uh, I certainly think there's an opportunity for hot dog launching, T-shirt launching uh, from, the, from the drone during any uh, Major League Baseball game. Now he's speaking you know, our language. So I've got to say, I've, I don't know if you've ever been to a Dallas Cowboys game, but it kind of piques my interest because at, in Cowboys Stadium, in AT&T Stadium, they have something that flies around the stadium, and it's, it's set up like a blimp almost. Oh. Maybe that's how they get around it. It's like a, like a little tiny yeah. blimp, and it drops like little drink coupons around the stadium. Because then, nothing's ever happened to blimps. <laughs> Kindenburg cop. <laughs> <laughs> so why, why, why is that okay? Because it's designed as a blimp. But like it's obviously a drill. It's, you know, it's about this big. It's like nobody's flying in it. Yeah, it's it's obviously the blades, right? And, and I think the uh, the drone industry uh, will also. There's a couple things, obviously, with the drones. Well, they're a little loud right now, right? And uh, right. to a certain extent, we want the noise so people know drones are coming. But we don't want all that noise. We don't want it to sound like a, a hive of bees is coming your way. So I think we'll uh, work on uh, drone noise and uh, propeller technology to, to make that quieter and quieter. Just like you know the the industry did with propeller blades on uh, submarines or ships, you know, to make the, them more quiet. And so uh, we'll work with that. And then, of course, you know, the open blade concept, uh, very, very dangerous. You know, if something goes wrong, it's just not going to be a end, uh, end well, you know, for blades in, in a dense crowd of people. So, you know, this is, again, that reasonable regulation uh, till you know, but if you're over the field, you know, and you're launching your hot dogs, you know, uh, to the crowd, you know, I think you can uh, maintain a safe distance. Clearly, I'm uh, joking, but, uh, you know, maybe there's something, uh, a good uh, sort of 
balance uh, for where drones can be used. And obviously, you can't beat uh, the video. Um, you see that with the PGA right now using drones uh, mm -hmm. during the course of their uh, tournaments uh, to get uh, up close, you know, personal footage where they can't get all the apparatus of uh, the television crew uh, in place so they can use drones. And so I think there's a there's a balance there. And we'll try to find that balance. You know, I was in the, the Patriots old dirty stadium, Foxborough, when I was 10 years old and a fan took a hot dog and threw it off the back of my 10 year old head. So you're going to blame the drones now. I'm not. Hey, Ed, before we let you go, I got to spin yeah. this wheel really quick. Let's see what we land on. Okay. This is the wheel we of go. stupid questions. All right. You Excellent. can place one thing on the moon. What is it? Well, you know, if you already have all the cheese up there, you need a little bit of wine. So a nice, good bottle of wine, I think, would be the correct answer. Ooh, like a, like a deuce drone, private label reserve. Drone, yeah, Amazing. exactly. Beautiful. Hey, Ed, where do people go to find out more? Well, obviously at our website, deucedrone.com. You can go to, you know, send us some information at uh, uh, to me, you know, if you want as well. Um, and also at deucedrones on uh, Twitter. Thank you once again. Thank Thanks you for so much for us joining today. us. Appreciate it. Okay, thanks right. a lot, guys. Take it See easy. Ya. Okay, again, we'd like to thank our friends at Legend Transportation for sponsoring today's episode. Legend partners with strategic customers while providing seamless solutions for its drivers and its West Regional's premier freight transportation company. Learn more at, tell them, Kaylee. Uh, newlegendinc.com. Yeah, you got it. You got it. One point I can do it. Right, here we One go. One point for me. I'm not, I'm not Michael Vincent, but I'm close. All right. Well, not anywhere. Everyone can be Michael Vincent. Not everyone can be the dude. It's Sometimes fine. that's a good thing. Okay, Walter <laughs> Hill is here with us. He's Senior Vice President at Locus. And uh, interesting, interestingly enough, they, they are talking about the driver shortage using tech to give some tr transparency in mm -hmm. pay. They've just released a new program. And also, today, they are celebrating. They just got a $50 million Series C funding round led by GIC Private Limited with participation from Qualcomm Ventures. And their existing, their existing investors as well. So let's bring him on. He's a Michigan State alumni. And also, we talked to Jen at the beginning. He's also a Project 44 alumnus. Oh, Walter, cool. thanks for joining us. Hey, guys. How What's happening, you? man? So big news for your old company, Project 44. They raised a ton of money. You guys raised yep. a ton of money today. So let's start there. First of all, tell us, give us the elevator pitch on, on Locus and tell us a little bit about the funding round. Yeah, great. So, you know, the elevator pitch, I'll be quick, right? you know, because there's a lot that we do and there's a lot of lot in the supply chain that we impact. But what we really do is we, we address the market by providing a deep technology platform that completely automates real world decision making in the supply chain. So, for example, real quick. If you think about the history of supply chain, logistics, transportation software, it's always or for a long time been about automating processes, right? And, and platforms got very good at that, automating process, automating process, and really squeezing inefficiencies out of your supply chain and your operations. What we're doing is we're taking that really a step beyond and automating human decisions, right? So we feel if we can leverage that automation of processes and then take the decision-making and then learn from decisions that are made and then automate that process as well, we can really drive enormous efficiencies out of the supply chain. And really, when you're talking about complex supply chains around final mile distribution, delivering into very finite locations and you know, stores, even uh, consumer locations at people's homes, things like that, the, the complexity has, has grown exponentially, especially in the, in, in the world of COVID. 
So that's really our mission. Uh, and that's what we're, we're, what we're getting behind. And we think that not only are we helping companies drive inefficiencies out of the supply chain, but we're solving real serious problems in the market, particularly those around driver retention, which we're here to talk about today. With respect to um, the big announcement today, thank you very much. Um, we're very proud of that. Um, that is uh, funding that we are going to leverage and utilize to really grow our global impact and our global footprint, move into markets aggressively where we can um, you know, uh, deploy our solutions into uh, not only new geographies, but new industries and new challenges, right? Because that's really what it's all about, finding challenges in the market. We are problem solvers at Locus. And we're proud of that. So, um, yeah, we're very, very excited. So thank you for bringing that up. So one of these things that you guys are trying to mitigate is the decision-making process around driver wages, mileage rates, and sometimes setting those wages and rates can kind of have a bit of an internal implicit bias sometimes if, you know, you're the person setting these decisions. How does using this deep tech and this software kind of take away those biases and maybe make it a little more productive, but also still meet the needs of the drivers? Yeah, we call it fairness, right? Mm -hmm. So it really is about looking at the driver, looking at the territory, looking at the product, looking at the stores, the locations, the types of customers they're delivering to, right? Taking all of that information, historical data, behaviors, industry-specific data points, and optimizing those routes. And most importantly, let's not forget, what is important to the driver? What's important to them? For example, they might have a kid who has a soccer game every Tuesday and Thursday afternoon, right? They might be part of some sort of club. They might um, be, you know, they might have a bass fishing tournament this weekend. Whatever it might be, all of those things go into the technology, into the parameters, the decision criteria. And then we can not only optimize more efficient routes, taking into consideration wages, um, you know, are they open to overtime? Are they not? Um, are they flexible in uh, moving into markets that might be a little further away based on certain days of the week? And taking all that into the equation and really creating a fairness formula for the driver so it creates a platform for them to be, quite frankly, happier with their day-to-day -day job, right? It's like anything else, whether you're a driver, whether you're, um, you know, um, you name it, a teacher, um, whatever occupation you're in, it's not just about the pennies that you're counting at the end of the day and what you made. It's about does this job fit your lifestyle? And that is an important part of the decision decision making that I talked about in the elevator pitch that you asked me to give, right? That is a critical, crucial part, whether you're managing a captive fleet and you're a shipper or a retailer or whoever it might be, or you're a logistics provider, right? You've got your own, you know, you're an asset-based provider. They're all confronted with those same challenges. So we take that very seriously and it's a real fundamental part of our value proposition. We're now, proud Walt of that. Walter, so I know what drivers care about because I read every workhound report that Work mm -hmm. and Max was actually here. We, were, we did a show last Wednesday on recruiting and retention. Uh, I talked to yep. a lot of different drivers. And the number one thing that they care about is pay transparency. They want right. to know what they're getting paid and why, right? And a lot of a lot of drivers don't know that, especially because of the nature of the business where you're getting paid per mile and that can mm -hmm. vary and you're stuck with detention, all mm -hmm. of those kind of things. Can this tech help at all with that transparency? Yeah, absolutely, right? And it all depends on the organization, how much they want to open up right, uh, to, the, to the drivers. Um, 
the trend is becoming more and more transparent for all the reasons that we just talked about, right? Because the less transparent, they're just not going to want to work for you. They're not going to drive for you, right? Um, so, you know, what a lot of the things that we're doing or some of the things that we're doing, for example, is enabling the, um, uh, you know, let's say, a, let's say it's a retailer with a captive fleet, for example, enabling them to support multiple uh, payment structures for their fleet, for that operator. And by the way, being able to do it all the way down to the asset level. So you might actually have drivers who are on different structures in the same network that you can open up to them and you can sort of tailor that structure per driver based on what they what they want or what they're most 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 concerned about or more most interested interested in, excuse me. Um, so there's a lot of flexibility and variability there that we can tailor to. Um, and then at that point, you then deploy and implement a plan for that driver that takes into consideration the things that they're most um, uh, that are most important to them. So, for example, staying away from locations that have high dwell times, right? Maybe overtime is not something that's part of the equation for the driver. Let's squeeze that out. Let's put this driver on a route that doesn't expose them to those uh, high dwell time or uh, locations where they get stuck. They want to get back. Timeliness is key. Their payment structure is based on that really tight cycle to get them back in that, in that eight-hour loop or whatever it might be. And so we can really adjust or let the customer adjust that route to that particular those particular requirements, all being driven around that payment method or that payment attribute we call in the system. Wow. Well, hey, Walter, very insightful. Before we let you go, before we grab your your your, your website, we got to spin this wheel really quick. This is the wheel of stupid questions. Where it lands, nobody knows. So no give your best questions. answer. Okay, here it is. What's something that should never be delivered by drone? Oh, that's a good one. Oh, what's something that should never be delivered by drone? Um, organ, organs for transplants. How about that? Very. I would have oh. gone with the baby. Yeah. But <laughs> organ. organ. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Oregon's Kaylee. You've talked to some medical drones, right? That was right? a good one. Um, I've not done any medical drones yet, but I do know that some of those are in the works, like like hospital to hospital yeah. inner city uh, transport networks. Probably nothing as crucial as an organ. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say like a farm animal. Like you, I don't think you should move a farm animal by drone. Probably not. Probably not. Okay. So where do people go to learn more about uh, about locusts? Yeah, so for sure. So you can go to locustlogistics.com. You can check out our website. Um, very easy, very simple to do. Everybody, everybody knows how to do it. Um, we have landing pages and um, resources where people can go and navigate to their specific needs and requirements. Um, and I encourage people to really take a look. I mean, it is a big deal right now. The, this industry is confronted with a real challenge. And um, we really think that if we can provide a, uh, a platform, an enabling platform to help companies retain those drivers and give yeah. them a really good, healthy work environment. Thanks, Walter. Um, we feel like we're giving an advantage. Thank you. We appreciate it. Appreciate Thank you, Walter. It. All right. So every Tuesday, 6 p.m. Eastern time, the What the Truck newsletter comes out. Nice. All of you can subscribe to it for free. Go to FreightWaves.com slash WTT. It'll land in your inbox. It's a little bit like a, a, a readable version of this show. And it's a little bit like a nice present in there. Unless, unless the news isn't quite what you want to hear. And you know what? Well, hold on. We got to hit the bumper first. Hit the bumper. Yeah. Got to hear that drone, that screeching okay, 56K modem me. as you're connecting to AOL. You might be a little young oh, for that. Oh, man. Disturbing I think I was memory. four years old the last time I heard that. 
Last time you heard that one? Yeah, yeah I think I think it was probably four. <laughs> Maybe a little bit older, but okay. So, hey, so, you know, a good, a good ideas get copied all the time, right? right? What about bad ideas like getting stuck in the Suez Canal? So if you make the mistake once, it's probably an accident. If you make that same mistake twice, uh, you just didn't learn. Well, Maersk tried this look on for size. Let's take a look at it. So, yeah, there's the, well, still, like, that's if you Ooh. want to dress like the cargo ship. The Ever Given Starter Pack. The Ever Given Starter Pack. Well, and now it could be the Maersk Emerald Starter Pack. Although, fortunately, this container ship, 366-meter-long container ship, it only got stuck for a few hours. Right. They're able to refloat it with tugs. What I found interesting about this story was that the uh, Suez Canal Authority head, Osama Rabia, he said he put a positive spin on this. Right. He said that even though another ship got stuck, it shows that they have adequate capacity to handle such situations. Although that's but really it curious, really, right? Does it, does it really show that you guys have the capacity to do this if it keeps happening over and over again? Yeah. Well, you know, it's an awful situation, too. So the Ever Given was seized, and it's been right. seized since April 12th. I mean, it got stuck, what was it, March 26th or March 23rd? It got mm-hmm. stuck. Ever since that time, this has been this has been detained, but right. so has all of the crew, all of the and all the freight, all the freight, all the crew. Everybody's stuck on this vessel, and they can't get off anytime soon. In fact, there there's not even a hearing going on right now, and there won't be till June twentieth, mm-hmm. which to us is just a date. You're reading an article, but think of yourself as Steve Ferreira stuck in a shipping container on the Ever Given. He would not, and if he couldn't come for his way out of there, he'd be dead. Being held by Egypt and being held for not just you know your safety, but millions of dollars too. Yeah. Millions. Exactly. Well, they, at least they cut it down. It was they wanted nine hundred million. Right. They've cut it down to five hundred fifty million. Now it's lawyers and insurance companies arguing about this. This can take a long time. So Michael Vincent and I talked about a story of a container ship that was detained by Egypt, right? Mm-hmm. And a guy was stuck on the ship for five years. Oh my gosh! He had to sneak off at night and like swim to shore and get clothing and stuff and swim back with his like wet loaf of bread. I don't even know how it worked. It sounded awful. And so you're just you're just stuck there on the ship. You're just stuck. You're There's stuck. nothing you can do about it. That's, that's a stupid question. If you were stuck on a ship for five years, what's the one item you couldn't live without? If I was stuck on... I mean, probably... Of modern things, it would probably be a cell phone. Nintendo just, Switch. The Nintendo Switch? Well, yeah, you, I guess you could, could use YouTube on that. Yeah. You can download the YouTube app. Have you ever been scammed before? Um, I can't say that I have. I like to think of myself as a conscious consumer. Okay, wow, okay. You it's, know, it's maybe you don't know you've been not, scammed. Not that I know of. Not that you I've know scammed, of. right. Well, have you ever, have you ever, you, you like, you ever talked to any athletes who wear, like, those magnetic bracelets yeah, around the yeah. wrist? And, you know, they're... Oh, and they're like, oh, this is going to take away my pain. Like, it's yeah. like my, I'm pulling the pain out of my body yeah. with magnets. Well, there's a, there, I guess, so there's this thing called virus shutout. It got busted at the port of Anaglis in, in Arizona. Mm-hmm. 30,000 of these things, and they're obviously trying to market these to people concerned with COVID, right? Right. Who may not want to get... A vaccine. So, curiously enough, they're like, I won't get a vaccine, but I will put uh, sodium chloride and chlorine dioxide around my neck. It turns out this is a pretty common solution in a miracle mineral solution snake oil, which is basically, like, it's basically bleach, Kaylee. Right, yeah. It's, It's essentially a bleach compound that you wear around your neck. But, of course, the FDA is not going to support this. They warn that this combination can cause breathing problems, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, especially uh, if you're wearing it around your neck. Yeah. Because it's very close to your mouth. You're breathing all that in. It's, it's shedding little particles. You just, it's, so I'll just put it in my underwear. Will I be fine? You know, the package says that you, you probably shouldn't do that either. Oh, okay. Oh, because the diarrhea. Yes. <laughs> okay. uh, or it's just not a good idea in general um, to, you know, use that to ward off viruses and bacteria, which truly doesn't make sense because, you know... Viruses, bacteria on your hands, yeah. you're touching your face all the time, you're touching your surfaces, you're not going to, like, touch your necklace before touching your face. People don't think like that. It's just like a, a cloud of 
what, how, like, how is it supposed to work? I think it's just supposed to kind of live there and just be the, like the shedding of the chemicals is supposed to kill the viruses, but it doesn't truly make it's sense. It's like Dumbo with his feather. Like, if you believe, if you will you, fly. Yes. If you believe that you won't get sick, you won't get sick. If you believe, but you'll still get diarrhea. Right. Okay. Well, we were just talking about drones. There's big news from, uh, from Wingcopter mm-hmm. as well, and TechCrunch had the story on that. I put it in the newsletters, and Wingcopter is just, and you studied drones a little bit. This one yeah. sounds really cool. It's the Wingcopter 198, and we heard from Deuce and they were talking about those relatively limited payloads and, and range and speed. Mm-hmm. Well, this thing throws all of that out of the way, and a lot of it's regulatory. I mean, it's not any fault of Deuce drone. Right. This is in Germany this is happening, but this, this drone, it can go 93 miles an hour. Wow. It can carry payloads up to 13 pounds, and it can go... 47 miles on a single battery charge, but here's the secret sauce. It can make up to three deliveries. So that's really, really economical, especially if it's, you know, going house to house to house. Yeah. Because we think about that, like we think about drones dropping off those Amazon packages, and obviously they would be optimized for keeping things in the same neighborhood, but what if you don't necessarily have that option? What if you're the only person uh, ordering from drone in your neighborhood? you got to fly to another neighborhood. Yeah. You've got the option. Yeah, now, exactly. And with a range of 47 miles, you can go pretty good. They yeah. still have to solve, like, the payload thing, because 13 pounds is not... It's not a lot. That's like a two-liter bottle, right? Mm-hmm. You get, like, uh, you get like 32 wings. It's, like, two pounds right there. Yeah. You know, you throw in some, some fries other sides. Some sauce. Yeah. It's going to fill up quick. It is going to fill up quick. And, you know, when it comes to drone delivery, like, like I mentioned with the food, I would almost rather have a drone delivery, because then you don't run the risk of that human interaction. Except That's- a pizza. Except the pizza, right? Yeah, that would be like all your cheese would end up on one side. Yeah. That could be bad. Um, a little bit more in tech news. This actually didn't make the What the Truck newsletter, but I just wanted to highlight it because it's too simple. So they had a truck drive from actually the same place. This is it. The, was this the truck that had the uh, the virus away in it? I don't you think know, it was. I don't think so. But it came from the same border crossing, right? Mm-hmm. And it drove all the way to Oklahoma mm-hmm. using the truck's autonomous system for 80% of the journey. And it's a 950-mile trip. It eventually right. ends up in Dallas. Um, they said it did – the article that TechCrunch had, they were like, it did it 10 hours quicker than a driver could. But that's like – yeah, but a driver – because the driver has to take you 10 to hours take off. Breaks, right. Yeah. And so the thing is, I don't know if you've ever driven that area from Arizona and through New Mexico to Oklahoma, Texas. That is the perfect place to test this autonomous vehicle technology because it's very straight. Yeah. It's, there's, you've got the wide highways, the wide freeways. There's not a lot happening unless you go for weather. But really, other than that, it is kind of the perfect place to test this autonomous vehicle technology because there's, your, your risk of deviations, your risk of taking windy roads is really, really low out there. I, I hear you. You know, they were talking, the, the interesting thing about the article, too, they were talking about this 950-mile journey, and uh, last, last Christmas, my, my wife, kids, dog, and cat, we all drove up to Boston from here. Mm-hmm. That's longer than that. That's, uh, t- that's about 10,050 right. miles up to Boston from here. It's a tough drive. We were yeah. team driving, switching off, and all of that kind of thing, but we, it didn't take 24 hours like this TechCrunch asserts. It took about 15, 16 hours yeah. to get there. Because we don't have hours of service. Yeah, you don't have have to rest and you don't have to take your breaks. So we're coming to the end here. It was a pleasure, an honor, and a pleasure being on What the Truck today. You've got Freight Waves Insiders coming up tomorrow. What's coming up on the show? Yeah, Freight Waves Building the Dream. So I'm talking to Guillermo Garcia. He came from Venezuela. Started uh, He started delivering pet food for locals in his neighborhood. Grew it into a 500-truck operation. Wasn't satisfied. Knew he had to come to America. Right. Got here. Built a trucking company. uh, Built a, a trucking dispatch company. Smart Hop right here. It's going to be tomorrow, 3.30 p.m., Freight Waves TV. You can also download podcast players everywhere. Look up, just look up What the Truck. And then um, what do you got coming up tomorrow on now? Uh, tomorrow on Freight Waves now, we are just going to dive into the top stories of the day. Have a look at your weather as always. Talk to Nick Austin about when this rain's going to let up for us here in the Southeast. All right. Well, hey, thanks for joining us, partners. Go and lasso yourself some sales and wins and knowledge. This desk ain't big enough for the two of us. Boom. <laughs> <laughs>